Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Genesis chapter 15, 1 to 12, 17 and 18. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me for a continued childless, childless, and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own Israel shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He brought him all these these and cut them in two, laying each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam, Adam drove them away. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and saying, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the love of Euphrates. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> the reading from Luke is uh, uh, 13, the, the, and we have the verses 31 to 35. <clears throat> At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet... Today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for, for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathered her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of, the word of Lord. Thanks be to God. Our reading from the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg this morning comes from Secrets of Heaven, 
section 1866. The symbolism of these rivers as the extent of spiritual and heavenly qualities can be seen from the symbolism of the land of Canaan as the Lord's kingdom in the heavens and on the earth. That kingdom contains nothing but the spiritual qualities of faith and the heavenly qualities of mutual love. As a consequence, the boundaries of Canaan can only mean the extent of these qualities. The inhabitants of heaven have no notion at all of what the land of Canaan is, what the river of Egypt is, what the great river Euphrates is, or in fact, what the boundaries of any land are. They do know how far spiritual and heavenly qualities reach, and they know in what direction spiritual and heavenly states lie and where they end. These are the subjects they have their minds on when people on earth read about such things. In this way, the letter of the word and its narrative content vanish once they have served as a focal point for the heavenly thoughts of heaven's inhabitants. Here ends the reading. I'm guessing that there is at least one person in the room whose eyes kind of glassed over when they heard the Swedenborg reading. Who kind of said, what? What, what, what is he talking about? I'm, it's not that it wasn't read well. It's that the concepts might be a little unusual. So what Swedenborg is saying is that underneath the words of scripture, there is a deeper truth that angels hear and see. And when they think about those deeper truths, the words of scripture disappear. When we read this passage, I don't know how many of you, when you read the Bible, think about the Middle East in modern days. I can't help because when I read the Bible, I, I'm, I'm a, I like images, I like pictures. So like when I read the Bible, I imagine my Sunday school maps, right? And, and I imagine the little rivers, and, and I can't help confusing that sometimes with the maps that I see in my life right now. There are lots of people who, when they, they read this passage, it's, it's, it's a story about how, at this point, Abram, soon to be Abraham in two chapters. It's a spoiler alert. Abram is beginning the process of receiving all of the land from Egypt to the Euphrates. I don't know if you all are aware, but there are several religious groups that actually claim that land. Which one's God is right? Which one gets a land? None of these people seem to go through the process of getting a clean deed before exchanging property or upon receiving property. And so we look back at scripture and we look at these, these claims as historic claims and we can argue about who's right and who's wrong going in perpetuity for thousands and thousands of years, I'm guess, guessing. But for Swedenborg, and the way Swedenborg read it, that's not the point. The point of the story is not about whether or not there is a square mile of land that one group of people owns or another group of people owns. It's, 
It's about a spiritual quality that we're supposed to be living. You see, for Swedenborg, it's not about which group of people gets the Holy Land. For Swedenborg, there's as many Holy Lands as there are people. It's a nice thought. You are a Holy Land. Isn't that nice? No one needs to fight you for it. The question is, are you fighting yourself for yourself? And that's where Swedenborg goes. So in Boston, thousands of miles away from the Middle East, this story actually has intimate, integral meaning to our lives. It, it's not about over there. God promises Abraham an heir. But he doesn't promise Abraham an heir of if you do everything okay, life is going to be easy. We hear about in both the first reading and the second reading, do you know what happens to the people who are devout and of faith? Tough lives. Being a disciple of God does not mean you get what you want. Being a disciple of God means that you have a relationship with God and that you experience a peace and a transformation that you can only get when you have a relationship with God. Years ago, I stumbled across a book by a man named Carl Theophilus Odner. He's a Swedenborgian minister, and he wrote a book on the geography of the Holy Land. And I'm telling you, this book just blew my mind because it describes the Holy Land, but it tries to describe it on what the qualities are. And, you know, there's, if you're on the east side of the Jordan River, it's talking about an inner spiritual self, and the west side of the Jordan River is talking about the external self, and up north near the Galilee is our intellect, and our heart is down in Jerusalem, and it goes through all of these different parts. And it's, it's almost helping a person understand the story of Scripture as a spiritual journey, a psychological or a psycho-spiritual journey of learning how to love more and more. But we've been given a promise, and it's a promise to our descendants that we are going to have the Holy Land from river to river. We can understand these as they are in the story as boundaries. There is a man, I do not necessarily agree with all of his theological understandings, but his name's Ravi Zacharias. He's an evangelical Christian apologist, and he has said, pleasure without God, without the sacred boundaries, will actually leave you emptier than before. And this is biblical truth. This is experiential truth. The loneliest people in the world are amongst the wealthiest and most famous who found no boundaries within which to love. That is a fact I have seen again and again. I believe, and you don't have to, I'm giving you freedom here. I believe that a life of faith is important to a good life. And I believe that a life of faith is essential for us to live our happiest and highest created self. 
The boundaries that a life of faith offer are important. They give definition for what it means for us to live. One might equate boundaries with vessels that love fills. If, if we did not have these boundaries, our love would go splat all over the ground. But our boundaries give form. Help them take life in a useful way. I would posit that individuals who do not have spiritual boundaries and, and live a sensual life, meaning a life where what we are trying to do is just make ourselves happy with worldly things, a life that we try and say, if I can only get control of the thing over there, that, that thing will make me happy. It doesn't. Wealthy people like to gain more wealth, and they oftentimes think, if I can just get to the next level of wealth, I am going to be happy. That's not to say all wealthy people you know, are that way. Some. Some understand their wealth as an ability for them to transform the lives and the world who are around them. And they're really good at making money, but they're also really good at spending that money to try and stop horrific diseases to try and grow communities, to try and transform lives. Those people are happy not because of their wealth. They're happy because the wealth they have is being directed in the right way. If they were happy, sorry, if they were spending their money to just get more money, they would always see an opportunity for more. For them, their boundaries are about loving their neighbor and loving the world. So here's my question for you today. What are your boundaries? You see, the boundary of, well, it's not illegal, isn't good enough for me. Our laws allow us to do lots of unhealthy and dangerous and poisonous things. It isn't illegal is not a good boundary. We should be asking deeper questions about truth and life. We should be asking for what does it mean for us to look to things that are eternal that actually fill us rather than run us ragged as we try and fill a hole that never seems to be fillable. Put simply, our life is struggling. We have the opportunity of struggling in a way that we never feel filled, or we have the opportunity of struggling in a way that fills us, that builds a relationship with God, that helps us understand what it was we were created to do, which is to be instruments of love. I mean, it's that simple. We were designed to love. The Gospels teach that living a life of faith is hard, but the reward is beyond worldly treasure. What are the two rivers? What are our boundaries? Love to the Lord and love to your neighbor. The great commandment, that seems like a pretty good place to put a boundary. Those those two things sum up the Ten Commandments. What do you bet that when angels think about their limits, those are the limits they think about. What would it be for us as people to see the person who we are in conflict with 
as a reflection of yourself. What if we could ask the question not, why is that person so full of themselves, but what are the needs and things that they're experiencing to make them think a certain way? What would it be if we thought, wow, there's something going on here. What, what would it mean for me to bring joy into the world versus conflict? This week, like every week, sadly, people have been shot. This week, it made relatively big news that because a person with a firearm decided that he wanted to wage a war, he killed a bunch of people. He believed that he was following in the footsteps of Christian warriors. He claimed to have studied the great Christian Muslim fights, and he was going to be a person who joined that. I don't see that in Scripture. It's easy for us to say, well, that's a horrible thing, right? That's a horrible thing. We all know that. There is a famous saying in certain groups, and that saying is, when you are hit by a train, it's not the caboose that kills you. When we look at these large events of people gunning people down or even college fraud cases, when we look at these, these big moments, that's the caboose. You see, the problem was well before that. The problem did not happen the day that happened. It happened years before. It happened quietly before. It happened in moments when the person was being viewed as being absolutely normal. At a time like we are sitting in now. Someone said, my point of view, my understanding of my needs and my wants are more important than the person who is sitting next to me. I am not going to care about the person in my life who is next to me because I am more important. We all make that choice over and over again. When does it go out of control? How do you, what practice do you put in place to understand what your spiritual boundaries are? The Lord was willing to die. The Lord is willing to suffer to show people what love means. Now by that, the Lord is not a passive pushover. The Lord does just not give people what they either wanted or said it's okay to hurt me. The Lord faced the evil of this world head on in an active way, loving actively. What are the small bits of selfishness that we hear? That we choose ourselves over other people? What are your rivers? Do you have any? Do you simply say that all I see is mine? Hopefully not. But that's what these 
People who go through and say, it's okay for me to lie, cheat, commit fraud, and murder, are saying, everything in this world is mine. A person who looks to God gives credit to God and says, no, the things of this world are God's, and they've been given to me as a gift. For us to have boundaries, it means we really need to start looking at everything we own and everything we possess as being things that God has given us. In response to the educational scandal, I I was on social media and somebody was aghast that how, how could this actress who's in all of these really nice person roles do this? How could this actress, who's who's employed to be so moral on TV, how could they do this? How could they participate in such a lie? And I couldn't help but bring up another movie where a character was forced to explain what it means to act to a young child. And all he could say, well, actors are liars. Now, that's very, very simplistic. Actors create a false reality for our entertainment. But here's the problem with entertainment. I know this is going all over the place, but I'll get back. Here's the problem with entertainment. Where are your boundaries in that? You see, when we play violent video games, our brain reacts, guess what, as if we are in the midst of violence. When we are being entertained, our brain responds to the situation as if it was real. How do you exist in this world and what are the boundaries that you have that even make your play safe? Because when we start, even through entertainment, saying, oh, that behavior's okay, it erodes our reality. What boundaries do you have when you watch the news? How do you tell what's true and not? Boundaries are important, and if we do not embrace them, if we do not ask ourselves, is this newscaster being nasty and mean? Are they throwing out insults versus love and care? Well, maybe, maybe that's a boundary. Is this entertainment fostering love, or is it fostering excitement based in hurting people? Maybe that's a boundary. When we sit and talk to people, the things that we say, are they things that we would say to God, a beloved parent, a young child? Are they things we would say to ourselves? What is your boundary? What do you find entertaining? What do you talk about to other people that you find worthy? This will help you answer the question, do I respect the boundaries that I have been given? Because I promise you, by the time that you actually stumble upon the problem, you'll be looking at the caboose. But the Lord gives us scripture and truth and faith and the very, the very simple lesson of love to help us figure out what the right boundaries are. So I hope as you survey 
your holy land. You will see love as the boundary line that you will not cross. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.